Hey, what's going on there, FightCast listeners? It's David here. Hope everybody is doing well. I uh, hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. I know I did. Uh, uh, thank you so much right up top here uh, at the beginning of the episode. Uh, thank you so much for all of your patience right now. Uh, those are... Uh, I'm sure dozens of listeners I have. Uh, thank you so much for uh, bearing with me here as I try to get everything back on kind of a much more regular, smooth schedule here. Uh, things just got to be squared away a little bit in my personal life. Um, working on it, <laughs> suffice it to say. Uh, anyway, thank you so much for bearing with me. Um, I talked with, for this episode, by the way, uh, this episode is really, really special uh, because I talked with the great and noble Daniele Bellelli the host of History on Fire and the Drunken Dallas podcast, a frequent guest on Joe Rogan's show as well. Uh, his website is historyonfirepodcast.com, uh, or you can just search for History on Fire or the Drunken Taoist wherever podcasts can be found. Uh, we had a great talk. Uh, we talked philosophy, uh, philosophy of martial arts, training, uh, how we go about it, what, uh, advice therein, kind of uh, what drives us, uh, our favorite Fighting media as well. Um, by the way, uh, super thanks and shout out to Daryl Cooper of the Murder Maid podcast. That's Daryl with two R's. <laughs> I'm working on getting that fixed for you. Um, uh, Daryl uh, was amazing. If you'll remember uh, from uh, my Murder Maid episode, uh, he and I uh, really dive deep into some really kind of meaty subjects. Um, and I'd love to have him on again. Uh, but uh, he connected Daniele and I, and I cannot thank him enough t- for that. So uh, you can find Daryl's stuff at www.martyrmade.com. That's M-A-R-T-Y-R-M-A-D-E.com. And you can also search for just The Martyr Made Podcast, wherever podcasts can be found as well. Martyr Made is one word. Um, before we get going here, uh, please, I just want to encourage everybody, please, please, please... Uh, drop me a line uh, at fightcastfeedback at gmail.com. Um, I really, uh, I'm at the stage where I need uh, people's uh, feedback as much as possible just on how the episodes are coming. Uh, I understand that they could be more frequent, um, but as to how I'm doing right now, um, I really need to know um, what you guys like, what you would like more of, what you'd like less of. Um, Ideas for future episodes. If uh, anything you think needs to be covered, I want to hear it. So please drop me a line. Once again, that email address is fightcastfeedback at gmail.com. So uh, please, tell me. Tell me what you think. Uh, so let's uh, let Daniele himself take it away with a quote from the venerable Robert E. Howard. I never planted wheat and never will, so long as there are other harvest to be reaped with the sword. You want to fight? We'll give you a fight. Welcome to Fightcast. Hello, fight fanatics. How are we all doing today? Uh, I have a um, – the, the winds just keep on coming for this podcast. I know that sounds a little bit egotistical, but the winds just keep on coming. I really uh, have had a hot streak in terms of finding 
uh, fantastic guests, uh, people who really do not owe me their time or energy whatsoever, but uh, have decided to show up uh, on my little podcast here. So uh, right now I've got a very special guest for you. Many of you may have heard his podcast and heard his uh, appearance on other people's. Uh, I guarantee if you've heard a couple episodes of Joe Rogan, you've probably heard him. Uh, if you are a martial artist at all, you've probably heard his name mentioned. He's written a couple of really great works on the subject. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the man who can read the phone book to me, Daniele Bolelli. Say hi. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, Daniele, uh, you run the uh, Drunken Taoist podcast, but more, I, I think it's safe to say, a little bit more famously for those of us who are uh, history nuts, uh, run the History on Fire podcast. Yeah, I mean, Drunken Taoist is fun and all, but realistically, in terms of people, you need to already know me and like me, because Drunken Taoist is a show that's about everything. There's no single topic. Yeah. So it's unlikely that people will just stumble on it. Yeah, uh, fire on the other end, people just, if they like history, they open up the iTunes page, they maybe see, oh, cool logo, let me check it out. So they don't need to know me already, and then they just get to find it. So, of course, History on Fire is way bigger than Drunken Taoist in terms of audience. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Or single focus. Yeah, I mean, uh, none of us are going to be citing Drunken Taoist as a source on any term papers lately. So um, <laughs> I, I, I just got to say, though, uh, History on Fire, uh, you have managed to really uh, attack history from uh, a very unique angle. Uh, you tell us some really badass stories about some badass people, uh, and you kind of make us fall in love with these uh, – you, you, you make these people uh, – because you talk about people a lot. You know, You talk about individuals a lot, I find. Yeah. Um, and you really flesh these people out into full three-dimensional figures with all, you know, warts and all, you know. Um, your series on Teddy Roosevelt I, I, I just absolutely love because um, it teaches us really, I mean, somebody you just want to admire so much and you cannot help but really fall in love with the guy a little bit. But then, you know, uh, he is kind of checked by the fact that, yeah, but he also grew up in the uh, in the in the 1800s and um, uh, it's <laughs> – you know, there are some adverse side effects that come along with that. You know, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm a big believer in. Uh, I, I don't believe in romanticizing history. I don't believe in demonizing history. I kind of like to deal with. I like to tackle people for who they are, and yeah. that doesn't mean that we are not. You know, to me, there are some super heroic aspects of certain individuals, but that doesn't mean we should overlook all the. Uh, the darker side of their personality. I, I just kind of like keeping it real. And I think, if anything, it makes it more special when you know you're not just having somebody who's spinning a wild tale for you that's not really accurate, just straight-up hero worship, yeah. where you can actually appreciate the good stuff for what it is. Yeah, a a absolutely, absolutely. I mean, even our best friends, you know, uh, people who we admire our whole lives, you know, uh, it's... It, it, it humbles us somewhat and reminds us that they are indeed human beings and reminds us that we are indeed human beings, you know, uh, when you can see them as like, you know, for for all their faults as well as all their virtues and everything. And uh, uh, but and, and it, it just I, I, I don't know, I, I feel like I have gotten to know some of these people like Cheng Sao, like as as much as we can get to know Cheng Sao, Right. Because there's nothing almost nothing there, you know, but I really get a sense that that this was a human being. You know, this was a human being, and they did some awesome things. They did some not so savory things. They did some weird things. Uh, but these people lived, and that's you know, uh, ah, I love being reminded how awesome 
history is and how uh, fiction is just really a pale shadow as a derivative, you know? I know. This is, I think, is what keeps it fun. I'm actually going to do an episode uh, just to break up the rhythm of things. I'm going to do an episode on uh, the historical inspirations behind Game of Thrones. So that sort of fits what you're saying in terms of the fiction and the reality. Sometimes okay. the reality is just as badass as the fiction, if not even better sometimes. And um, I, this is really awkward now because I'm going to have to come after you for stealing my idea. <laughs> How could you have just taken the, taken the idea right out of my head? I, no, it's fine. You can have it. You're going to do a lot better things with it. I promise everybody right now. Go When Daniele uh, releases this series, go listen to it because he's going he's gonna to knock it out of the park. No, but I think, I mean, that's part of also the fun of doing history is that you're not exactly creating something new, right? I mean, everybody, how many other people have tackled the same topic? It's not about you're going to be the first and only to be able to do that. Everybody has their own spin on it. So that's what keeps it fun is that you can hear the same exact story from one person and it's uh, maybe you got something from it. You got it from somebody else. You got something entirely different. It's... You know, even though, like the first time I ever listened to Dan Carlin, I started yeah. listening um, to this one particular series on the Roman Republic. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I grew up in Italy. They throw you that stuff from the time you're five years old. I knew the story inside out, up yeah. and down, what was going to happen. And he still was having me at the edge of my seat with uh, what's going to happen next. So it's not that I don't know what's happening. or So sometimes it's like, you know, in history... You're not going to have too many original ideas. You know, 10,000 people have already tackled those topics. Is how you do it that counts. Yeah. Do you ever get the feeling when you read about particularly, like, really weird or really fucked up things in history that it's kind of almost like that when you're in college and you black out during the party and then your friends are telling you all the things you did while you were blacked out and you're going, what? That happened? I did that? <laughs> That's funny. That's pretty funny. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about history is that we really wish we knew a lot more than we do. Mm-hmm. We know that is not even funny. So it's uh, a lot of history is, uh, you know, you have a fact, then you have another fact there, but there's like giant missing pieces in between. And you have to fill those pieces with educated guesses because in many cases, we really don't know. And it's, you can't just say what we know for sure because then you talk for three minutes. Yeah. So you and, are thin, you know, but it's uh, in a more artful kind of way, more than pure science, because in some cases you really don't know, and you have to be honest about it. That you know, this is the evidence we have. This is the conjecture that I can make based on the evidence, but that's as far as we can go. Absolutely, and, and it kind of it illustrates why we have to keep coming at history. We have to keep re-looking at it because we're always going to come at it with our own particular goggles, you know, our generational goggles, our societal goggles and everything like that. Like uh, uh, in Dan's most recent episode, uh, talking about the the Celtic Holocaust, um, he's talking about this this newer translation of Caesar's uh, commentary on the Gallic Wars and how there's always going to need to be new translations of historic works because we're going to keep, I suppose, tangentially inching closer to the truth because we're coming at it with different successive sets of cultural blinders and, you know, uh, different lenses we're looking through. Definitely, definitely. That's why it's, uh, to me, telling history is um, almost more art than science, or rather is a place where 
the scientific aspect of the field mixes with a more artful one, and you need yeah. to really have to be able to tell a good story. And, and, and me as the you know as the theater major, um, I'm always going to argue that uh, you know the if you don't have the ability to even tell a basic narrative, then all of your knowledge, everything you found out, really doesn't mean anything because how are you going to communicate that to people? And uh, in the same way that Bill Nye is like a science communicator, I mean he's an engineer by training, you know he's not like he he hasn't got a PhD in the hard sciences necessarily, but like I, I, he's a science communicator. Communicator, and I think that it's important to have history communicators just as much as, as it is to have science communicators. You know, I think you, Dan, um, Daryl, uh, thank you, Daryl Cooper, by the way, for introducing us. Um, uh, you know, you guys are fantastic history communicators, and that's what we need right now as much, if not, you know, uh, just as much as, um, you know, communicators of the hard sciences. Yeah, I think that's one of the problems in fact with academia is that it's all about just the science of history. Mm -hmm. And you need that because without that, you have no stories to tell. You don't have the raw data. But the raw data by itself doesn't tell a story, you know, mm -hmm. which is why a lot of people fall asleep in history class because a lot of these people are great researchers and they are awful storytellers. Ah, you need yeah. to or cinematic eye to be able to tell a story. You need to... Storytelling is a whole other different ability that's separate from being a good historian. I mean, in my mind, it's part of being a good historian, otherwise you're just a researcher. But more often than not, academic history is all just about the research and doesn't pay enough attention to the storytelling aspect. Yeah, and... And you, as a history professor, I, I'm sure know that much better than most. And but 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 we'll get to that. Uh, I kind of want to just backtrack a little bit here. So, uh, what what kind of brought you to this whole realm of study? What brought you to be the uh, to quote Daryl Cooper, the absolute savage you are? You know, I mean, um, what? Uh, uh, how how did uh, how did little Daniele uh, grow up to uh, you know become such an uh, effective history communicator and such an effective storyteller? What got you into it? I think I I grew up as a kid, like spending a lot of time reading kids' books about history, just because to me it was fun. It's like I would play with my toys and imagine those stories and reconstruct them. And so to me it was always about entertainment. It had to be fun. Mm -hmm. That's what it was. It wasn't. And, and I think, you know, I grew up like with my dad, with my mom, all with a very – both of them had a lot of attention to stories. They both were writers. They both loved movies. They're both, there was a lot of discussion of storytelling uh, throughout my life. Mm -hmm. And so to me, it was kind of natural, was part of the way, uh, you know, of course you need to tell a great story. That's what makes life fun. And as humans, it's such a basic thing. You know, mm -hmm. we are, we are happy monkeys who like to sit around the fire and eat sto and listen to stories. You know, that's what human humans do. You know, that's one of the things that whether it's in movies, whether it's in other venues, good storytelling as a way to capture everybody. Yeah. Uh, and storytelling to me is how you, <clears throat> even philosophy to me, if it's separate from storytelling, sometimes is, it becomes dry. Uh, the best philosophy is one that can, uh, teach what it has to teach through archetypes, through myths, through fables, through, you know, you need to relate to characters. Otherwise, if it's too abstract, nobody cares. Absolutely, absolutely. And human beings, we think in stories. I mean, we relate, 
we interface with our reality through stories. I mean, if you ask somebody, you know, if you find somebody injured and bleeding on the street, the only way that you can help them is for them to tell you a story. How did this happen to you? What happened? Who was it? You know, how were you attacked? How can we help you? That kind of thing. Like, uh, or if you simply ask somebody, how was your day? How was your experience of planet Earth at this particular moment? And it, it, I check, there's no other way for them to relate that information other than to tell a story. So it, it, it definitely touches a primal kind of uh, part of our brains, doesn't it? You know? I think so. I think we're wired for it, which is why movies are so attractive, why everybody watches TV series and movies and stuff. It's, it's just a cooler way to tell a story. Yeah, man. As, I'm jealous of you as an Italian to grow up with such an amazing like film tradition. I mean, we, we in the States do too, but I feel like we take it for granted a little bit, you know? I mean, uh, was it... Uh, uh, what, what was it? Uh, was there something about Italian film that really uh, that that brought you uh, into a new awareness of this kind of stuff, or uh, was it just simply any movies at all that you just could get your hands on? Yeah, I actually wasn't really that much into Italian cinema. I like okay. uh, I like more. I wouldn't say the typical stuff necessarily, but I definitely like more Hollywood stuff. I think uh, there's something in the formula of American movies that's great, where yeah. a bunch of a bunch of cinematic traditions around the world have a tendency to be depressing as hell. So many of the, I mean, if you watch Chinese cinema, Chinese cinema is beautiful, but you want to shoot yourself by the time you're done watching the average Chinese movie. They are so heavy. In, yeah. uh, I'll, I'll admit, I, I'll admit, I've fallen asleep during Hero a couple of times, even though that's one of my favorite films of all time. Yeah, and it always says, I mean, before you even start, you can already count, you know, which character is going to have to kill themselves, which character is going to be part of some tragic love story that's going to end up horribly. It's like the conven the cultural conventions are pretty bleak. You know, they make me, and to me it's like, you know, if I want reality, I look out the window. I'm interested in stuff that inspires me. I'm interested in yeah. stuff that teaches me how to live a better life, not in stuff that makes me want to shoot myself. Exactly, exactly. And uh, what better way to, you know, uh, figure out how to better live our own future than to look at our past, right? Uh, so I guess, like, uh, th this leads me into – you've written you've written at least one fantastic book on the martial arts uh, called On the Warrior's Path, which I am currently reading, by the way. And by the way, listeners, is going to be on the required reading list. So as soon as I publish that, expect On the Warrior's Path by Daniele Bellelli to be on the top of that. But um, I guess uh, – you're you're known as a pretty fierce martial artist amongst the people that uh, amongst the people that talk about you. So, like, is it history that got you into the martial arts? Is it uh, did it kind of tangentially come into your life a different way, or you know, how do these things uh, support each other in your life? Because I can I can draw a pretty clear delineation. You know, I mean, uh, martial arts is a way for me to live history. I mean, is it the same thing with you? I think it's um, to me all the stories that interest me are hero stories. You know, yeah. there's some character who does something amazing, who transcend their weakness, their limitations, the crappy conditions that they find themselves in. So I'm interested primarily, I mean, even history to me is like, I'm interested in heroes. And I don't mean heroes that they have to be perfect and spotless and always do the right thing. They can be messy heroes. They can be complicated heroes. They can be heroes that sometimes are like, why are you so stupid? But there has to be something heroic there, or I just don't care. So for me, it's, um, you know, one of the key things of the hero stories is dealing with conflict. 
is because uh, otherwise everybody would be a hero. It's easy enough, you know. Everybody with good intentions can become a hero. The, the difference is the hero will be able to tackle hard things, difficult things. When you know the monsters show up and keep you away from the wonderful captive princess, the dragon breathes fire and everybody else run away. So that's kind of what I'm talking about, where mastery of something that's not an intellectual discipline, it's not about how you can spin an argument, mastering conflict on a physical level, there's something very primal about that, and that to me is essential in the hero story, and ultimately is essential in any human being story, because the reality is that we are physical creatures, so being able to relate to one of the most primal aspects of it all, which is physical conflict, being able to know how to speak that language, it's definitely not a bad thing. Absolutely. You know, um, I, I, I remember when I was uh, going to school, uh, I, I, I was very uh, focused on martial arts. I had just moved from a place where I was practicing martial arts constantly, and I kind of wasn't anymore. And I had to focus a lot of my energies into, um, into the art of acting and the art of uh, trying to construct a scene and everything. But even then, like, um, the heart of every single scene, the heart of every single uh, story that's worth putting on the stage or the screen, conflict is at the root of it. You know, I mean, yep. we as human beings cannot escape conflict. So we might as well, uh, <laughs> we might as well tell some really fantastic stories about how to, how to come out on top, how to overcome adversity. Absolutely, and I think part of it has to do with um, some people also need it more than others because some people are naturals at handling conflict, yeah. other people are not. And so, you know, if you're already this uh, tough, fearless person by nature, you probably need it less. You probably need to spend more time doing something else that balance you out. Yeah. You probably, is not a bad idea to spend time uh, reading poetry and doing Tai Chi. <laughs> but if you are, a more sensitive person, um, then doing something that instead cultivates that other side, cultivates assertiveness, cultivates toughness, cultivates some of the qualities that may not be as natural to you, that's a great thing. That's actually something that you need for the sake of becoming a more complete human being. Absolutely, absolutely. So, I mean, you you touch upon an interesting uh, concept here, becoming a more complete human being, you know. Uh, Is it what, what for you helped you find your own path into becoming, as you say, a more complete human being? You know, somebody who can, um, who can really roll with everything life has to throw at them. And you know, you're not always going to come out on top, but at the very least, you're gonna uh, survive. You know. I think in that sense, martial arts are monstrously useful. Yeah. Because. In you know, in the ring or on the mat, nobody cares of how good you can, how well you can speak, or what a good story you can tell, or what some great philosophical argument you can make. It doesn't really matter. It only matters how you perform, and so it kind of forces you to deliver, not just to be lost in your head, not just to be lost in a more intellectual sphere but to actually bring it down to a level where it's all really simple. You either do a good job or you don't. You either are able to execute under pressure or you aren't. And there's really nothing else to be said. You know, it really is that simple. Yeah. And so I think it's important. 
uh, if you have one side already, well, develop the other. Then you know, and I think everybody needs all of it to some degree. Yeah. I think I'm not a believer that people should specialize in one thing and one thing only. So I mean, I love martial arts, but if that's all you do, that's gonna really boring really fast. Yeah. Martial arts should be at the they should be a tool that help you live a better life. They shouldn't be life itself. Uh, it's very, very well said. Very, very well said. So I guess uh, um, that that leads me to ask, like, what kind of uh, what martial arts do you study currently? I mean, what have you studied in the past? What has uh, what um, what fighting arts have really resonated with you? And uh, you know, I, in in what different ways have they resonated with you? Um, let's see. So. I've done a lot of marks. So I'm trying to think of. Well, right now, right now, I'm primarily doing grappling, mainly Brazilian jiu-jitsu and judo. Mm-hmm. Um, I find that there's only so many times in life when you get one of you want to get punched in the head that gets old <laughs> after a while. Yeah. So, oh yeah. Striking arts. I mean, they are fun. I like them. The main thing I've done striking oriented was uh, boxing, mm-hmm. and um, and it's fun. But one of the problems with striking is that because of the neatly dangerous nature of the game, you either play too soft in sparring and then it's not realistic, or you play too hard and you come out with brain damage. Yeah. So it's kind of, I don't like that because there's always that line where you don't know where to hold it. Whereas grappling is really damn simple. Somebody's trying to throw you or you try to stand up. You can execute. I mean, freak accidents will happen in any combat sport. But for the most part, it's a little bit safer. You're not taking damage to your brain. It's That's not the name of the game. Yeah. So I find it more mentally relaxing to be able to just grapple full on and just don't be a dick and don't crank a submission. But other than that, you <laughs> yeah. can grapple full on. And um, as opposed to striking sparring, where you have to always have this negotiation with at what level exactly do we take it? Where where do we draw the line? How hard yeah. can we go? Too much mental process going on. I, I, I don't really... So as much as I like striking arts, I like grappling ones yeah. better. And um, so that's what I'm doing right now. Before, let me think, I've done so boxing, MMA, done a bunch of Chinese martial arts, Um I like Shuai Jiao, which is kind of like a Chinese version of, uh, it's Chinese form of wrestling. So somewhat similar to judo, but not entirely. Okay. Um, I like, um, I've done, um, some Tai Chi, Bagua, Shingi. I did this particular style of Kung Fu called Kung Fu San Su that was more self-defense oriented. Okay. I like it a little better compared to the average, uh, Kung Fu stuff because it was a little more, less set forms and more about being able to apply it. Um, So these are some of the main ones that come to mind. Yeah, excellent. You you, you touch upon a really uh, really salient point there with regards to striking arts because um, in my experience in... um, in performing, or not, not performing, but in practicing uh, Japanese swordsmanship, which is my uh, main art of study, uh, yep. my sensei continually brought up the problem that is inherent in that kind of training, which is that you have to, he, he used the term sanitize. You sanitize yep. your art to a certain degree, and like, for instance, I mean, we, we, we normally spar with wooden weapons, and we, we, we use like a safety margin, so if I go in for a head strike, I'm going to stop about, ideally, I'm going to stop about like six inches away from your head so that 
Um, you know, you clearly see, okay, that's a kill, that's a, I would have struck you there, uh, but, you know, it still, there's a margin there for safety and everything, but that prevents us from doing certain things. Like, I can't, I can't just rush in on a guy and stab him a whole bunch of times, like, you know, I would want yep. to in a swordsmanship, in an actual swordsmanship contest. Um, you know, so you have to sanitize it to a certain degree, and you have to, like, okay, I have to take a step back, I have to focus on these specific techniques, I'm trying to train this specific technique right now, you know, I'm not gonna go in and just, you know, you know, knock him down and then stab him over and over again with a wooden sword or everything, and then, you know, like, you have other, uh, instances where we try to get a little bit closer to full contact fighting, like we use, um, Fukuro Shinai, I don't know if you've ever used Fukuro Shinai, they're like... They're like the kendo shinai, um, but they're they're a split piece of bamboo in, and they have like a, a leather sheath around it. Yeah, yeah, and so like we can go full contact with that, but we also sacrifice something because the blades don't behave like swords would behave, and so you can get away yeah. with certain things that you normally can't. So like, um, yeah, I, I I I I'm I'm very envious of that the ability to approach the you know, the hypothetical, realistic confrontation on the street where you're going to have to defend your life or something like that, you can t you can approach that much more closely, I see, with, a, a, you know, a grappling art than you could with a striking art. And uh, that is what leads me to really want to engage in one, but, you know, uh, time and money are a factor right now. <laughs> no, and I'm with you. I think it's just mentally more relaxing. I don't have to think about it so hard. I mean, because yeah. that's the paradox of martial arts, right? That is like... You can't really train exactly the way you fight. And the two typical answers, just because of safety reasons, and the two typical answers to the problem have been either combat sports, where you limit the range of techniques you can execute, but those techniques you can usually execute full power, full speed, or the self-defense arts, which you can do any technique, including the ones they actually want to use for real, but you do them with a cooperative opponent, so you're not going full power, full speed, and both of those both of those methodologies have problems. You know, they both offer you something, but they both have problems. Yeah. And so inevitably any kind of martial art you pick up is but an approximation of reality. It never is the real thing. Whether you're talking combat sports or whether you're talking self defense arts, yeah. neither one is real. They both give you the best way you can try to approach training without killing each other every night. Yeah. Now, it, you can feel free to not answer this question if you wish, but, like, um, what has been your experience, if any, with the real thing? What has been your experience with actual physical conflict? Well, I mean, I haven't been in that many fights. That and I, uh, to be honest, even the ones that I have, I don't even know that I consider them fights because if it's okay. over in a second, is, I don't know, is it a fight? Is it, uh, does it count? You know, if somebody comes up at you and is, like, pushing you and is getting in your face, and, you know, it's about three... It's kind of engaging in that sort of primal ritual of chest puffing, pushing. It usually comes about three to five seconds before they punch you. Yeah. And you dive and knee through their balls, and they drop to the floor, and they don't get up. Is that a fight? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it is what it is, right? It's like, it certainly neutralized that situation. <laughs> that's that, that that is true. That's that's a very efficient neutralizer. Yeah, I mean, do I call it that? It's weird. You know what I mean? It's like it's not yeah. like to me. There's a fight where everybody's swinging. There's a back and forth. It lasts a little bit. 
that's different. That would be more recognizably a fight. If it's sort of uh, one attack, one move, it's over, I don't know. Is it a fight? Does it count? I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely get you, you know. Uh, I suppose it counts. I mean, if, there is ag- if there's aggression initiated from one side and one side responds and there's no longer aggression, I suppose you could say that, you know, that's just a very efficient fight, <laughs> you know? Like, I'll give you an example. I remember one guy at one point kept trying to pick a fight, kept annoying me, and at one point he just uh, grabbed my wrist and kind of stuck. That is, uh, you know, he's initiating, escalating the conflict to being physical. Yeah. But the guy's not yet to the point where, you know, the guy's trying to kill me or something, you know? He's just, so again, there are different kinds, there's the fight of Dudu's trying to kill you, that's different from a guy who's trying to bully you, intimidate you, and maybe work the way up to escalating the fight, but taking a few steps up, yeah. and instead you go from zero to a hundred right away, and so then the fight is over, and then you're done, you know, it's like, those are the things that are hard for me to call in terms of how we define a fight, you know, it's like, for example, in one occasion, yeah, one guy, I had this guy grab my wrist, and it was kind of funny, because it was like the same thing you have done in training 500 million times, but you never think that somebody's going to be stupid enough to do exactly that. Yeah, yeah, right? It's the rare case where the Aikido-like technique will actually work. Yeah. Oh, this is cool. So I apply a wrist lock, and the guy drops to the ground, holding his wrist, and I'm like, oh, look at that. It worked exactly as advertised. But, you know, again, this is a guy grabbing your wrist. It's not a guy coming at you with knives, you know? It's, yeah. uh, so I think different degrees to what you would consider fights. <clears throat> that's that's true. That's true. But it, it is weird, isn't it? That you know, whenever what, sometimes when we humans decide that a physical altercation is the way we're going to go, whether whether we're the aggressor or the you know uh, or the victim, uh, sometimes like it's it's weird how rational thought goes out the window to a certain degree. It's like oh, so this guy has just done the most obvious thing that he could possibly do. Does he realize this? Or is it like, is the mind clouded by this, you know, idea of aggression and, you know, oh, I'm just going to show my dominance here, you know? Um, it, it, it is weird sometimes how our brains will revert to a different state of thinking when, when we're engaged right. in these kind of things. Yeah, I mean, you know, not all physical confrontations are the same. There's a guy coming to kill you. That's one kind. There's yeah. a the wannabe rapist, that's a different kind. There's the yeah. bully just trying to push around. There's Those are all physical confrontations, but obviously the intensity of it is very different, you yeah. know, and uh, the kind of skill that you have to display is also very different. So I guess I haven't had the guy trying to kill me type. I've had the more the more that maybe they will escalate to something more serious, but I usually try to, if it's getting physical, to end it immediately. And so, I don't know. I'm Like, my attitude is there is no honor in fighting. Fighting is, you know, there's honor in uh, combat sports. There's yeah. honor where you are, you know, if we decide we want to do something and we decide to yeah. play by the rules, that's different. Yeah. Sure. There's, a, there's, honor in, there's honor in dueling, for instance. If we're, gonna, if we're two gentlemen and we're going to set up a duel, there's honor in that, I suppose. And it's different from a fight in that way. Totally, because we are establishing that, okay, we are going to play by these rules. We are going to do this thing. It's like, okay, I get it, you know. But otherwise, a fight fight, 
to me, I don't want to be in a fight fight. And if I'm in it, I want you to be on the floor before it even begins. You know? Yeah. I want to. And so my thing is I'll use whatever cheapest, dirtiest, nastiest tactic possible to get the job done. So out of probably a handful of things that I can think of, I think like 90% ended when their balls got struck the wrong way and they <laughs> dropped floor whimpering and that's it, you know? Yeah. In, in combat sports, I think we should all try and be Ned Stark. You know, everybody wants to be Ned Stark in combat sports. We want, we want to win honorably within the rules so that everybody can see I'm the best. In a fight, though, in like a real struggle for survival we want to be brawn you know we want to be the guy who's just gonna like use every dirty trick in the book we want to be the guy who is going to come out alive and on top at the end of it yeah i'm a big fan of whatever gets you home in one piece is good i like that so um uh, yeah fighting is by nature dirty like if it's a there's a great line i think in pirate of the caribbeans in the first one where uh, Orlando Bloom's character say, uh, you know, ah, you would never beat me in a fair fight. Uh, to which Johnny Depp reply, well, there's not much of an incentive for me to fight you fair, then, is there? Yeah. That to me makes perfect sense. It's like, yeah, fighting is not fair. It's not. We're not in a ring determining who's the best guy. It's uh, who gets to go home in one piece, and that's a whole different game. Yeah, and, and that that is such a jarring thing, isn't it? Because I mean, we have this idea. Um of ourselves as being heroic because we're all the hero of our own story and we when we come to martial arts we have this kind of false concept of oh i'm gonna i'm gonna be the hero in this situation when no like sometimes winning does not look heroic at all nope no no (laughs) no my approach is i will be the nicest human being that is until the fight is on yeah. I will try to avoid the fight. I will try to give you ways out. I will try, you know, all of that happens beforehand. Yeah. But once it's on, to me, well, all discussion of fairness go out the window. Then yeah. it's just get the job done, get it done quickly, over. That's it. That's, that, that's true. So do you think that, you know, the old line about martial arts is true, is that, you know, the kind of the more proficient you become, the more of a master you become within the martial arts and the ethos that it instills in you, that it allows you to avoid conflict more effectively? I think so, because uh, one of the things that people respond to is fear. You yeah. know, if you try to avoid a fight, but people smell fear, uh, it's very hard to avoid a fight when you're afraid. Yeah. Um, it's a lot easier if you have uh, an attitude where it's like, you know, I would rather go to the movies and see some hot woman tonight. But if we really want to do it, okay, fine, let's do it. You know, if you have this attitude that you're giving somebody a choice, like, do we really want to, but you're not really afraid of going down that path, that changes the dynamics. People then have an actual time to think, and like, you know what, maybe I don't want to get into this thing. Maybe it's... Uh, Whereas if you just show fear and you're like, oh, you really shouldn't be fighting, it's like, you know, bleeding in front of the shark is not a good idea. Yeah, yeah, that's true, that's true. It's, it, it, it is such a psychological game at the very end of it, isn't it? You know, because like, you know, it's, it's almost as if the physical actions are simply tools that you use and the end goal, honestly, like, I, I, I don't want to, you know, end any 
real world confrontation and a fatality. Like I'm not the kind of person who wants well, that. Like I mean, no, I, I don't think any sane, rational person does. So then the ethos becomes: okay, how effectively can I convince? This person that carrying on violence is 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 not effective is is not yeah. in their best interest. Absolutely, and yeah. uh, and when you know that you are you can you can fight if it boils down to that, it's a lot easier to have less ego about it and more willing to just let it go because you got really nothing to prove. You don't feel that you have this, so it's a lot easier to talk your way out of things. Um, yeah. when, you are, when you're ready for it as opposed to when you're driven by completely by fear absolutely absolutely and you know uh, we, 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 we don't we, 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 none of us wants to necessarily live our life in a way that makes other people afraid but yeah there are certain situations where that is you know it, it, if it's going to avoid violence then absolutely by all means you know uh, and and I'd love to come back to the subject of kind of violence in the modern era but uh, for right now I kind of want to switch gears a little bit um so in 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 your uh in your uh study of martial arts and everything have you mainly studied unarmed or have there been some kind of uh armed styles that have made you see things in a different way I like uh weapons are fun but um I haven't studied enough of it. I mean, I played with some Filipino stuff, just a little bit of sticks and blade and that kind of thing. Yeah. A little bit of weapon training in some Kung Fu styles, but, you know, not... That's more stuff that I play with on my own a lot, nothing that I've formally studied for that long. So it's. I think it's awesome. I think some of the weapons art are great. You know, I really... Uh, I like most of them. But, um, yeah, I haven't spent quite as much time with them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they, they are, they, they, they certainly do present, I mean, um, it's, it's odd because I feel like they present a bit of a barrier in some ways into, uh, into learning, I guess, more real world practical stuff. I mean, I, I'm not going to get into a fight with somebody with a sword, like, it's just it's not going to happen, you know. Unless right. unless Highlander turns out to be a documentary, I'm not going to get into a fight with a sword with anybody in in any conceivable sense. But uh, you know, I I feel like that there are certain things that we can glean though from the the practice of those things. It's like, um, um, you know, you can feel this pure sense of how I can react in a struggle. I guess, you know, uh, in, in, in sparring a lot with Japanese swordsmanship, I find a lot of times that, okay, um, if I expose myself to this enough, if I expose myself to, you know, wood sw slinging at my head very closely, or if I can, you know, uh, view my opponent at a bit of a distance, then I can sort of see how I stand up in a conflict. Does that make any sense? I, I don't know if that makes any sense. No, it does. It definitely does. And yeah. I... It's, um, yeah, I think that's really, it tells a lot more about our psychology, the way we are built as human beings in that sense. It's, which is funny how, you know, talking about fighting yeah. can tie to actually even deeper things to who we are as people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I can learn a lot about myself after an hour at the archery range, I'll tell you that much, because, I mean, um, uh, and I don't know if I, 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 I'm looking at your your profile photo right now, and it's I think that's you drawing a bow. If that's uh, if, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, but yeah. like um, you know, uh, 
with, with archery is such a it's such an individual thing that you know you're not really shooting against anybody else in that particular sense. You're really kind of grappling with yourself. I I don't know if you get this experience when you go shooting or not, but uh, I find that when I'm shooting at a target or shooting in a competition, as I've done before at the Renaissance Festival, you know, you're really um, it's it, it it it's a way of grappling with yourself. I don't know if that's your own experience. Absolutely. I mean, it's like, especially something like archery, it's just you, the target, there's really no opponent there, and, yeah. uh, well, there you go, you know, and suddenly you are on all these, uh, all these mental processes play a big role in how well you're going to shoot. You know, there's, uh, the more pressure you put on yourself, the more you psych yourself out, the more suddenly even a shooter will start shooting all over the place. Yeah, Whereas, yeah to be in the zone and kind of be somewhat focused and yet emotionally detached is so much easier to get a good job done. Absolutely, absolutely. So um, coming back a little bit to uh, to the, the practical application of martial arts and everything, I mean, I, I, I was – when I was coming up with my notes and everything for this episode, I, w- I, I was telling myself that I was going to try and steer a little bit away from current events as much as I can. But the more I thought about it is that the more it's on my mind, you know. Um, with today's climate, not to get any – you know, I'm, I'm not going to get partisan or anything like that, so don't worry about that. But like um, with today's climate, I feel as if tensions amongst – people are just very high right now and i yep. feel as if physical confrontation is how to phrase this not as outlandish as an idea as it once was that like i might get into a physical altercation today used to be very 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 low on my you know in, in terms of probability like in terms of what can happen today and lately, right. I feel as if it is slightly more probable. Do you do you get the same feeling at all? Then again, yes. Then again, a lot of the time, people are particularly vicious online. Yeah. I know that would have the same um, attitude face-to-face. Yeah. You know, the monstrous amount of hatred because people spend a lot of time online with no one on the other side and so they can go off and just say the most vicious things. It's a different story when somebody's in, right in front of you. Suddenly all that um, posturing start going away in many cases because people know that somebody's going to call their bluffs if they keep at it. Absolutely. So, I mean, don't get me wrong, it is still less time. It just happens a lot less. Yeah, I mean that's that's true. I mean, there, I don't know. There, there have been altercations I've been in recently that I kind of put myself in that position. Like I was at a protest and I was in an altercation with somebody. Um, but you know, it, it, it's weird because I did kind of put myself in the position where I, like that became a little bit more likely. But um, I don't know. It's just that I feel as if now that the the posturing from some people like I do security in my main in, in in my in my day job and I feel as if right now that the people in general are quicker to anger but then again maybe I'm also completely off in that assessment you know um we're seeing kind of a lot more street confrontations between uh varying factions of people and while in one way it is you know a little bit it's disturbing to me that this is happening 
on another level, it's kind of weird because I'm going back and I'm like, okay, all right, so is this a bit of a more of a glimpse into how ancient combat would have worked? Like, <laughs> I, 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 I have those weird dual tracks of thought, you know, like, um, <laughs> I don't know, does that ever occur to you that, uh, that right now we're kind of going back a little bit to the point where, like, the main physical altercations between groups of people now are happening in an environment where uh, you'd think that we've completely transgressed the ancient law, as it were, but we're really kind of falling back on similar patterns. I'm, I, you know, I, I don't know. Do, do, you, do you get the same uh, uh, feeling at all? Yeah, I'm a big fan of um, what I call gladiator for world peace. Yeah. The idea of... Well, one thing that I don't like about most wars is that most of the people dying are people who don't want to be involved in it, don't want to fight. They don't really just want to be left the hell alone. Yeah. To me, it's like any time where there is a personal conflict, whether it is uh, between states, there should be... <clears throat> like, I enjoy the notion of, you know, you have a problem with person B, person B wants to fight you as well. Well, here is an axe for you, here is an axe for you, please let's put you in a cage and we'll watch on pay-per-view. You know, it's like leave everybody else out of it. You guys have a problem with one another. You don't want to solve it through words. You want to solve it through violence. By all means, be my guest. <laughs> Yet again, Daniele Bolelli steals the idea right out of my head. That is, it, it, it is shocking, isn't it? You know, the, for instance, I mean, how, how for all the old-fashionedness of the of the guys in charge of running the countries that involved themselves in World War One, you know, you'd think that somebody at some point would have said, "Hey, hold on a second. We don't need to waste millions and millions of lives. Why don't we just have single combat? You, Franz Ferdinand, you fight Kaiser Wilhelm, or something." You know, obviously, I mean, Franz Ferdinand was already dead at that point, but like, I mean. What a, what an interesting idea that is because if we're in if we're willing to engage in violence and we're willing to fight you know our wars by sending other people to fight on our behalf why don't we just skip that why don't we just go back to you know trial by champion you know yeah don't you love it when uh, politicians are so gango about talking tough when somebody else is gonna fight their wars. It's like, we are going to show them who we are. No, you're going to sit on your chair and do nothing while you send other people to fight for you. That's not being tough. Yeah. You know? Like, I'm not a big fan. That's why in that sense I kind of like Theodore Roosevelt, because as insane as he was in a lot of ways, yeah. and that good argument to be made that some of the stuff he did and said was a bit deranged, he had balls of iron. And, yeah. you know, he was not the guy who hid behind the desk. He... He was pro-war. Well, guess what? He volunteered and go fight when he's almost 40 years old. No, nobody expects him to serve, but he's like, well, I'm not going to advocate a war that I don't fight in. Otherwise, yeah. too easy for me to advocate something that I'm not going to do for myself. What I wouldn't give for a time machine to go back and follow Teddy Roosevelt as he's, you know, hustling himself around a battlefield. Like, I just listeners imagine that in your minds for just a quick second you know um yeah you know it it, it is it, uh, part of me longs for a day you know for 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 days in the past where you know people had those convictions you know like roman politicians as corrupt as they were you know they went and fought their own wars they they swallowed the consequences if things went bad 
Yeah, big time. And again, you know, that doesn't mean that people are going to be good because of it, but at least you avoid some serious hypocrisy, you know? Like, too easy to be brave with somebody else's body. Absolutely, absolutely. So, shifting gears a little bit back to, um, kind of shifting back a little bit to the, uh, to the storytelling angle of things. Um, what media have you uh, con- been consuming lately that you consider really to be uh, on the ball with regards to kind of reflecting kind of your warrior ethos or um, something especially uh, that you feel like portrays history, history in a um, – encapsulates it in, a, in an accurate way, I suppose? Because you can't get every detail right sometimes, and, you know, y- y- you forgive those limitations, but, like w- – what do you think that you've seen, like movies or plays or books or whatever, that you feel have really kind of like, okay, they got it. They got the essence of what this was about. One thing that I absolutely loved is about a decade plus old by now, but uh, the Rome TV series done on HBO yes. was just awesome. Uh, it was done so well and I mean they didn't hear about it they weren't trying to make everything historically accurate you know they took some liberties but everything was extremely plausible you know most of the reconstruction of what Roman life would have looked like is as close as you can do it within an Hollywood contest while still keeping it entertaining Um, I think it was done masterfully I love that series yeah, me too, me too. I, it introduced me to Kevin McKidd and Ray Stevenson, and I, I just, I, I, lo- I love those guys. I love those actors. And anything that they're in, I watch. Um, yeah, I'm tight as fucking pillow, right? Um, That's awesome. That guy, to me, is clearly... Titus Pullo in Rome is Conan the Barbarian. You know, yeah. the same dynamics are there, the same vibe is there. So, yeah. to me, that one is a Conan movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I I love Rome. Um, I, I'm sad a little bit that they didn't have the uh, uh, the resources to really go after some of the big battle scenes because I would just love for one bit of media just once to show me what Roman infantry looked like in action. Oh, I just want to see that, and I feel like I haven't seen that yet. Right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it just cool. I mean, Rome was already one of the most expensive shows ever. So, yes, that would have been probably a bit too much. Dry run in a lot of ways for Game of Thrones, I find. It was, and I think that's why they cancelled it. It's because they realized that they were going to have a very another very expensive series on their hands. They didn't want to have two at the same time. So I think that's why they got rid of Rome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, man, uh, uh, I... Uh... I had another question, but I co- it, it completely slipped my mind at the moment. But I guess um, I I wonder if you have any advice for people who are um, looking right now. Because I know that a lot of people, by the rise... I mean, recent events have had a lot to do with it. Um, the rise of hate groups and that kind of thing. The, you know, a lot of... A lot of very unsavory people being emboldened right now, uh, and 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 feeling as if they can just kind of be out in the open and be legitimate. Um, I I know a lot of people who are looking into things like martial arts uh, a lot more seriously now than they normally would have ever. Uh, do you have any advice for those people who are kind of just embarking upon a martial arts journey for the first time? I mean. The problem with, that's the thing, the problem with real 
proficiency in hand-to-hand combat, never mind when you introduce weapons, which had a whole other degree of complexity. Man, that takes a long time. Because you have to train in multiple things to get even remotely good at something. You need to know how to wrestle, you know, for sure, because that's one of the key things in terms of hand-to-hand combat. You need to have some striking, whether it's boxing, tie boxing, something. Uh, you need to know what to do on the ground. You need to know what to do with weapons. So, yeah, I mean, if you really want to be proficient at something, because for realistic purposes, man, you need a lot of time, you know? And that's I think that's why probably a lot of people then say, okay, I'll study, I'll learn how to shoot well, because then hopefully I'll have a gun handy in most situations, because it's so much quicker, you know? Hand-to-hand yeah. combat takes time. It's, uh, it takes forever. Then, of course... The gun is only as good as when it's on you, when there are going to be plenty of context when it's not, or when it's just not the right answer, because it's again the guy who grab your wrist, you probably shouldn't shoot him in the face. You know, there are other degrees of uh, how to deal with physical conflict that doesn't require you to just pull out a gun and blast at somebody. So it's, it's a kind of a tricky question no matter what, because uh, usually it's going to take a long long, long time. So there better be other reasons why you're doing it than just physical effectiveness. Yeah. Because otherwise you spend monstrous amount of time in something that you may not be using all that often. Yeah. And, and during training, uh, especially knife training, uh, my sensei would constantly tell us, uh, Sensei Al Kilgore, he would constantly tell us, um, one thing about a knife fight is just make peace with the fact that you're going to get cut. You're just, right. it's, it's going to happen. You're going to see blood. It's going to be your blood. You're it, like, you just have to get used to that fact because it's going to happen. Just treat it as a, for, for, as a given. Um, and I suppose that I would just add, you know, to all that, that you said very, very brilliantly said, I, I would just add that, you know, just prepare for the fact that things are going to go south. Train for the fact that things are going to go south. It's not going to be how you imagine it. Um, I know that any conflict that I'm envisioning right now is not going to go how I imagine it. So be prepared for the fact that it, you know, the unexpected is a given. So yeah, yeah, and I mean that's also the other thing. Even if you look at combat sports, take the best fighters ever. Every single one got their ass kicked at some point. Yeah. Who, who's not... your favorite fighter? Who's your favorite fighter? Um. I think, I mean, depends how you define favorite, you know, whether it's purely inter- who's most skilled versus who you actually enjoy personality-wise yeah. or style-wise. Like, George St. Pierre is awesome personality-wise and he's awesome skill-wise. He's not always the most entertaining to watch, but he's a genius, you know. He's a martial art genius and he's a super nice guy. Absolutely. Uh, uh, lis- listeners, uh, go back and listen to our Captain America the Winter Soldier uh, episode for uh, Mike Lubke, uh, absolutely waxing poetic about George St. Pierre. So just call, awesome. call backwards. Yeah, he is. He's amazing. He's a superhuman. Yeah, he's amazing. I like a lot of, like, I really enjoyed back when he was around Genki Sudo. I really jo- enjoy Kazushi Sakuraba. I. There are, you know, John Jones is brilliant style-wise. He's a genius, but of course he's such a fuck-up outside of the cage that it's kind of hard to like him. Yeah. So, you know, there are people for different reasons. Some people because of how they fight. Some people because of the personality. Some people because, you know, there are multiple aspects to that. Yeah, absolutely. My girlfriend started uh, fighting professionally. Oh, yeah? 
it's so funny, man, because she's like a sh- sweetest person, you know, always gentle, always sweet, always all of that, right? And I remember her train, and, you know, I can see, like, okay, she's talented, she's tough, she can hit really hard. But, you know, then I would see her in doing smokers where some other girl is trying to take her head off, and she would be so gentle and just touching them and playing with them, not really. So when she did her first pro fight, I was like, hmm, I wonder if, if you can actually pull the trigger when the time comes to it, you know, when if you can... And it was so freaky, man, to watch somebody. Because, you know, for me, it's always a highly emotional process to fight, and it's scary and all of that. Yeah. She was like, like if she was sitting at home, she was so relaxed. And I went in there, the fight, our first pro fight lasted 18 seconds, and the other lady was out cold for well over a minute. Damn. And it was just like, holy shit, okay, that's something else here going on. You know, you are clearly cut for this in a way that I never will be. No matter how much I train, I'll never be have that mentality, have that ability to turn it on like that and turn it right back off. You know, that's something else, both power-wise, both, you know, in every way. I was just like, holy shit, okay, that's that's something else there going on. So. Yeah. How, how how amazing are warrior women? I just want to say, like, as somebody who dates one as well, like, how amazing are they? Yeah, I was talking with uh, Brian Callen, who has uh, one of his podcasts. He said something that was super funny. He said, uh, you know, a lot of MMA ladies, they kick them, punch their way into my chauvinist heart. And I thought it was so funny the way he said it. You know, but basically it was like, yeah, maximum respect. You know, these ladies were able to step into a world that's very much a man's world and be totally awesome at it. You know, being not intimidated, being able to take care of business. And it's, yeah, man, it's it's something else. It requires, uh, really requires something else. For right. certain, you know, for certain. I, I mean, my, my my girlfriend has competed in MMA, and I can't even imagine doing that at the moment right now. So, like, ma- massive respect to everybody who does that, male or female. Yeah, man, it's it's intense. It's uh, so it's yeah. I don't know, man. It's something else. It really is. Uh, mm-hmm. That ability to turn it on like that is some because you know some people are cut for it psychologically. Yeah. Some people are not. Uh, Not naturally. You know, I can train. I can get better compared to where I was. I can, you know, do things because I have a very strategic way to look at the game. I can see things that most people don't see. But that would make me more a good coach than a good fighter. You know, she just has this thing where she's not afraid. She's not intimidated. Difficulties don't bother her. She And it's like, okay, well, you got a psychological makeup that makes you perfect. As a fighter, absolutely. You know, and that and that's that that's hard to train. That's that's something that a lot of people. I mean, you you just have to kind of bring that, you know. Um, but uh, I, I, in closing here, I just want to say, you know, thank you so much uh, uh, for the time and the energy that you've taken, you know, to come on my show. I uh, uh, I and all the listeners uh, who are now fans of your show, if you haven't already, just you know, gone and listened to all of History on Fire and come back. Um, yeah. Daniele was a little bit of the inspiration for doing this show, so to have you on, man, it has been an amazing honor. Awesome, man. My pleasure. Anytime.
For sure, for sure. And uh, so currently on History on Fire, you're dealing with a very famous uh, boxer by the name of John Arthur Johnson, otherwise known as Jack Johnson. Yep. Um, th- this was this was a hell of a guy. Uh, do you want to speak a little bit, you know, tease that a little bit for people who uh, haven't listened to it yet? Sure. Jack Johnson became the first, the first black guy to become heavyweight champion in boxing. Like a world heavyweight champion. Like we're talking like... Uh, yep. the, the same thing that, you know, the, the coveted title in boxing. Yeah, which for a long, at that time, um, black people were not allowed to fight for the heavyweight championship because it was seen as too much of a um, challenge to the existing racial ideology of the time. You could not have a black guy being considered a pinnacle of masculinity, which the heavyweight title was. Yeah. So a lot of white boxers kind of hid behind the color line for a while. And Jack Johnson eventually was kept beating challengers, kept pushing the envelope and, you know, trying to poke fun at the existing champion until eventually one of these guys decided, you know, he sort of threw a crazy amount of money that he wanted to fight Jack Johnson and thinking that he priced himself out of a fight and instead he found the promoter that did it. And Johnson was, I mean, the thing about Johnson is not just his uh, athletic performance, Johnson was a guy who lived in a way that you do not expect a black guy to live like in 1910, 1908, 1912, right around that time. He was openly defiant of the racial ideologies of the time. He lived life as if racism didn't exist, despite the fact that in 1910, of course, racism is everywhere you turn. Yeah. He did things that would get you lynched in a lot of places. He, you know, made a living beating up white guys in the ring. He dated white women. He drove fast cars. He, and even black people, you know, he was a hero of more the working class black, more the more middle class black people were like they wanted him to be more the hard worker who Bowie said and goes to church on Sunday. Jack Johnson was none of that, and he was open about it. He's like, you know what, I like uh, alcohol and I like hookers, so leave me alone. I'm not, I'm not gonna be, I'm not gonna be what white people want me to be. I'm not gonna be what black people want me to be either. I'm gonna be me. And if you have a problem, that's really unfortunate because I'm still gonna be me. Imagine, you know, an attitude like that in 1910. Wow, that's some yeah. crazy stuff. <clears throat> and the stories Absolutely. of his life are just wild. Absolutely. I mean, uh, truly, I mean, just reading about him, uh, the limited knowledge that I have, just, I mean, larger than life character. Um, yep. and, and, and I know you're going to, I know you've already knocked it out of the park, man. So please, listeners, go and check out Daniele Bellelli's, uh, uh, uh it's part one right now. Uh, do you know how many parts it's going to be? Yeah, it's going to be three parts, because the first part was his early life up until when he became champion. Second part is going to be the fight with Jim Jeffries, who was the former retired champion, which was the real big fight, because yeah. everybody worshipped Jeffries. So that's going to be the second part. And then the third part is going to be the latter part of his life, when uh, not being able to beat him in the ring, authorities are going to go after him out of the ring, a really wage a campaign of legal persecution to just bring him down absolutely yeah uh, i can't wait i can't wait at all um so listeners please go and check that out um and please also check out his book on the warrior's path i'm currently reading it right now and it is uh really opening my eyes to a lot of things with regards to the realities of training in the martial arts and why 
uh, and how it can uh, help enrich your life. So please uh, check that out right now. And uh, anything else you'd like to add, Danielli? Well, speaking of martial arts, the, um, all in all, I wrote four books on the warrior path. was the first one. The fourth one, called Not Afraid, is also largely about martial arts. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more from a more personal direction. Um, on Warrior's Path is more pure philosophy. Um, I'm not afraid as a more personal take on it. So that's uh, that's the other one where I tackle martial arts a lot. Absolutely. I, I can't wait to get to those personally either. Uh, so um, thank you for that, man. Uh, thank you for the clarification. Um, listeners, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been uh, a, a truly just an enrapturing episode of... Uh, uh, a fight cast. I, I really appreciate you joining us for this. Appreciate your time and energy, Daniele. Uh Thank you, man. Uh, you, you, you've been a. It's been an honor. Of course, man. Thank you so much for having me. All right, cool. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, take care of yourselves and each other. Keep fighting the good fight. Hey there, fellow warriors. Sincerely hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. If so, it would mean the world to me if you checked out Hot Chocolate Media's other web content, Fang and Talon, a swashbuckling fantasy epic featuring HCM founder and former guest Kyle Decker with some fantastic fight choreography to boot, Super Academy, a gut-busting comedy about amateur superheroes, and The Movie Machine, an improv podcast where a writer, director, and producer create a hypothetical major motion picture based on a random prompt all in real time. Please check out these and more at hotchocolatemedia.net. Thanks, everybody. Hey, everybody. David here. So if you're like me, you're a martial artist, a performer, competitor, all of the above, or you're just looking for a good backpack, or you want to save the ecosystem of this fragile world of ours. If any of these sound like you, you owe it to yourself to check out Datsusara. Datsusara is not an official sponsor of this podcast, I just really believe in what they're doing. Uh, Check out dsgear.com and see exactly what it is I'm talking about. Everything from hemp combat jujitsu gi to hoodies to weapons bags to the best goddamn backpack ever, all made out of high-quality hemp dsgear.com is where you want to go for that thank you so much for listening everybody take care thanks for listening now go forth and conquer